Uh, Let's pray together. Father, as we've just sung together, we recognize that it is from your mercy that all our hopes begin. A merciful God of wonderful generosity and grace and providence. And as we consider these things now from Deuteronomy 15, we pray that you would help us to see these things clearly in your word and in turn to be shaped by them so that we might be the people you've called us to be in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. So please do have the second half of Deuteronomy chapter 15 open in front of you. That would be great. Thank you. And we're just looking at a a very short section this evening in verses 12 through to 18. Uh, We're in this uh, section at the moment in the middle of the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is teaching the people of Israel how God would have them care for the poor in Israel when they settle down in the promised land. Ours is a God who is a God of compassion, a God who cares for the needy. And it's for that reason that he wants his people to take that same attitude towards those who are in need. And so through Moses, he's giving them these various laws concerning the poor, how the poor should be looked after. Of course, it it ties in, doesn't it, in some ways with what we were looking at this morning, if you're here, as we looked at those verses from the start of 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul there is teaching Timothy about how the church, God's people today, should care for the poor people and especially widows within the church family. And here again, there is this theme of caring for those in need. And in this bit of Deuteronomy, notice that there are really three different laws, one after the other, all which focus on caring for the poor. We came across the first back in chapter 14, the law of the tithe. Every year, the people were to set aside a tenth of all of their produce and offer this to God. But on the third year, that food was to be made available for the poor. Put it in a big storehouse in your town and any poor people at that point every three years could come and avail themselves of these provisions that were made available for them. So there's the law of the tithe, which in some ways helps the needy. Then after that, we have the law of the sabbatical year that's at the start of chapter 15 and if an Israelite was too poor to look after themselves and to look after their family and if you were in a position to help you must give them an interest-free loan and bit by bit they would pay it back and then when the sabbatical year came around, which happened every seven years, whatever was outstanding of that debt was cancelled. And you must release that person from their debts. And you see, don't you, in these laws, God is a God who cares for the poor, cares for the needy. 
And in these ways, he is calling his people to reflect his character and to care for the needy amongst them, especially those of the household of faith. God is giving these laws to give practical guidance about how best to care for the poor people in Old Testament Israel. And then the question arises, doesn't it? Well, what if someone is so poor that they're not able to pay back the loan? What if even now that they've received this loan, they just can't get to the sabbatical year? Maybe things have gone really badly now for them. And a more extreme level of help is needed for this person. Well, that's the issue that is picked up now in verses 12 to 18 as this section continues, where we have this law about slavery or or servitude or however we might translate it. Now, when we hear that word slavery, immediately alarm bells ring, don't they, for us? Because immediately we think of the evils of the slave trade or indeed the evils of modern day forms of slavery. And we need to remember right at the start, Moses is talking about another kind of system altogether here. And the so-called slavery or, or servitude that Moses is talking about here is not about oppressing the poor. Rather, as we'll see, it is about caring for the poor. Completely the opposite of what we normally think when we think of slavery. It's not about oppressing the poor, but caring for the poor. And it ties in, therefore, with the law of the tithe and the law of the sabbatical year as ways in which the poor could be provided for. So what does this law of slavery, as it's described here, call the people of Israel to do? Well, imagine that the scenario plays out as follows, that you've entered into this loan arrangement with a neighbor of yours who has fallen on hard times. Your farm is doing pretty well. Uh, His farm is doing pretty badly. He's struggling to feed his family. And so in obedience to God's word, you've given him this interest-free loan. And he's gradually paying you back as he's able to do so. And both he and you are counting down to the sabbatical year when you both know that that debt is going to be cancelled and this arrangement between the two of you will then come to an end and he'll be free and his debts will be removed. And yet in that intervening time, things take another turn for the worse for this poor neighbour of yours. Some disaster maybe happens in his family or to his property and he is now plunged even further into poverty. And he cannot keep up the repayments now of the loan. Maybe there's still four or five years of repayments that he owes, but there's no chance of him getting to that sabbatical year and this loan being cancelled at that point. So what happens in that situation? Well, what happens is that he is sold to you. So he becomes your servant or your slave or whatever you want to call him. And in lieu of him not being able to pay that loan back, instead he now works for you, and he does so at a low rate of pay, the minimum wage, let's say. 
And this, you see, is intended to suit both parties. On the one hand, the poor man himself no longer has to worry about trying to pay back those debts because now he's going to work those debts off and still at the same time have a small income as well. You, in return, are effectively being recompensed now because this person is working for you and doing so at a reduced rate of pay. And so you're getting something out of this as well. Both of you, you see, are benefiting from this arrangement, but in different ways. But, says Moses, there is a strict time limit on this arrangement. And the time limit is that it is a six-year contract and no more. And after six years of him working for you like this, you must let him go free. And from then on, he is free to carry on his life as a free man once again. And yet you don't just let him go free. As well as that, Moses says, you're to give him a very generous leaving present. So verses 13 and 14. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. It's going to be no good if you just let the man go and he goes back to his old life and he's got hardly any money to his name. He's just going to be back to square one. And very likely this cycle of debt and having to take out a loan and struggling to pay it back and then being sold as a servant, it's all going to repeat itself all over again. So instead, Moses says, send him on his way with plenty of resources so that he can start this new era of his life. Give him some sheep from your flock. Give him a few sacks of grain. Give him some wineskins filled with wine from your wine press. Uh, Go and have a look at your storehouse and see what you've got for yourself and see what you can set aside for this poor man in order that he can have plenty of resources to take with him as he is set free from slavery and as he goes back to his own inheritance and as he starts his new life there. Give him the best chance possible of making a really good go of things as he returns to his own land. And then in verses 16 and 17, there's an exception to all of this. And the question is, what if at the end of those six years, the man actually doesn't want to go? He's had six years with you now. He's been working for you. And it's all gone very well. Uh, You've found that you have a good working relationship. You get on very well with one another. Working together like this, your business has gone really well. And now he knows the ropes inside out. And he doesn't actually like the idea now of going back and working on his own once again. And so, you offer him that new start, you offer him 
the freedom. But actually he says, well, I don't want that new start. Actually, I want to stay. And I want to keep on working for you. I want this to be an ongoing arrangement. Now, if that happened, there was the option of making this arrangement permanent. So verses 16 and 17, if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you in your household, since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. Now this sounds strange, doesn't it? This is not how we enter into employment contracts today, is it? We just sign a piece of paper. But in those days, this is what would happen in those circumstances. The servant enters into this permanent contract by having his or, he, his or her ear pierced against the door of the person that they're going to work for. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Why do they do it like this? Well, we need to understand that in their culture, the ear was, if I can put it like this, the organ of obedience. The ear is how you hear the instructions and commands of your master in order to be able to obey what your master says to you. Now, you might have noticed earlier in our service, we, uh, we sang from Psalm 40, didn't we, at the start? And it's a psalm which speaks of the ear in these kinds of terms. It speaks of the ear as how we hear the word of God, our ultimate master, in order to obey his will for us. Notice that in Psalm 40, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I've come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. The ear is this organ of obedience in their mind. And so by having his ear pierced against the door of that person's house. The servant or the slave is saying, I'm giving my obedience to him permanently now. And this ear that is now nailed to this person's door, this ear will listen to his commands from now on and will obey him because I am his servant permanently now. So with this law, along with the law of the tithe and the law of the sabbatical year. God is instructing his people to care for and provide for the poor amongst the people there in Old Testament Israel as they settle into the promised land. And just imagine trying to put yourself into the shoes of a poor person in Old Testament Israel as in your quiet time, you're reading through Deuteronomy and you come to the end of chapter 14 and the start of chapter 15, you'd be very, very thankful, wouldn't you, that yours was a God who had given commands such as these. Yours was a God who was making sure that you would be cared for even though you were poor. But then put yourself in the shoes of someone who's fairly well off. And as you read these things, you might respond rather differently, might you? And you might view these three laws 
as being a, a burdensome obligation that rather you would prefer not to have to do. And you see, God knows that it will be the case that some people would feel reluctant to obey these commands. If you're a rich person and there's a, a poor person down the road or in the next town in, in Israel, you might read Deuteronomy 15 and you think to yourself, well, really, I don't want to give that person a loan out of my own pocket. And what's more, I really don't want then to have to cancel that debt when the sabbatical year comes around in three or four years or however long it would be. And as well as that, should they default on their repayments, I really don't want them to have to go or be able to go scot-free after just six years of working for me. What if I'm still owed? And as well as that, I really don't want to send them on their way with this big trailer full of my own livestock and produce. You can understand, can't you, that some people within Old Testament Israel, as they read these things, would be very reluctant to obey these laws and to care for the poor as these laws call them to do. Why should I obey what God says about caring for poor people when I've worked so hard to accumulate all of my money? And I want you to see that in these verses, the Lord, through Moses, gives three reasons why the people of Israel should live in line with these laws about caring for the poor. Three ways in which they can be motivated to obedience to these things. And as we'll see, these, these reasons, these motivations apply to us as well today. Even though we live in a very different era of salvation history and these laws don't apply directly to us. Nonetheless, the principles behind them are still of value to us as God's people today. So here's the first of these three reasons. Be generous because God has been generous to you. Be generous because God has been generous to you. When this person has been working for you for six years, now it's the time that you must let them go free. And as well as that, remember, you have to go and gather together this big leaving gift. And notice there's no particular stipulation about what you give them. It's left open, isn't it? Just furnish them liberally, is how Moses puts it. And so you look across the, the fields at your flocks and your herds, and you think to yourself, well, how many sheep should I give him? How much cattle should I give him? And then you go into your storehouses and you look at what you've got laid up there and you think to yourself, how much of this should I give to this person? And you'd be tempted, wouldn't you, to give as little as you possibly could get away with. And Moses says that at that point when you're considering what to give to this person as he departs from you, you must remember at that point that absolutely everything that you own was given to you generously by God. All of it belongs to him before it belongs to you. He's the God who's provided whatever wealth you have. Now for the Israelites in particular, he gave them the land in the first place, the land that they could farm. And he blessed it with fruitfulness. 
And as well as that, of course, he gave to his people the abilities and the strength to work the land and to earn. And so Moses is saying to them, however your business or your farm has prospered, and whatever riches you have accumulated, remember this, it is all because the Lord has been generous to you. And yes, you've had to work hard as well, but it took the Lord's generosity to bless those efforts and provide the increase for you. So be generous, because God has been generous to you. That principle applies to us as God's people today, doesn't it? Do you remember how Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. And you see, don't you, when you realize that everything that you own is all God's generous gift towards you, that is what motivates your heart to be generous towards others. You see, that's what Moses is getting at, isn't it, in verse 14. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. Simply the, the principle or the motivation is this. Be generous because God has been generous to you. And then secondly, be gracious because God has been gracious to you. Be gracious because God has been gracious to you. And this act of, of setting the slave free, sending him on his way back to his own inheritance and going there with his arms filled with rich provisions, it should remind you of something else. It should remind you of something else that happens in the, the story of the Bible. Of course, it should remind you of the way in which the people of Israel themselves at one time were slaves, all of them in Egypt. And God looked upon them, and at the right time, he set them free from their slavery. And he didn't just set them free as well as that. Remember how the Israelites left Egypt with their arms filled with riches. As it were, they left with leaving gifts, didn't they, as they left Egypt. Exodus 12 says the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And having been set free like this, God then took his people to their own land, to their own inheritance, for them to start a new life there. You see how the story here that is described in Deuteronomy 15 is patterned upon the story of the Exodus. And because God has been gracious to his people like that, setting them free from slavery, providing richly for them, bringing them to their own land, and allowing them to start afresh there, well, of course, his people should treat one another in a way that reflects what God has done for them. That's what Moses is getting at in verse 15, isn't it? You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. 
The point is simply be gracious because God has been gracious to you. And how much more does that apply to us as God's people today? Because we have received a much greater and a much more gracious redemption through Christ. In him, abounding grace flows to us. In Christ, we're set free from our slavery to sin. In Christ, we are provided for abundantly with all the riches that are in Christ. In him, we have an inheritance to look forward to. In Christ, we have a new life that has now started. And as those who have received such grace, we're to be gracious to one another. That's the point, isn't it? Be gracious to one another because God has been gracious to you. And then thirdly and finally, be content because God is providing for you. Be content because God is providing for you. And you can understand, as we mentioned earlier, some of the Israelites not being too pleased when it came to setting this slave free and giving them a big leaving gift. It feels like a double whammy, doesn't it? In one fell swoop, you lose an employee and you lose a chunk of your resources as well. And it might feel like a bitter pill to swallow. But Moses says, as you do that, be content because God is providing for you. And notice that in verse 18, Moses shows two ways that God is providing for his people as they obey this command. First of all, he says, it shall not seem hard to you when you let him go free from you. For at half the cost of a hired worker, he has served you six years. In other words, remember that the debt that this person owed to you in the first place has now been paid off. He's worked for you for six years. He's done so at a low wage. And this has been your repayment. And in this way, through this law, God has provided what was lacking for you. And even though you now have to let the slave go free, even though you now have to give him those gifts, you can be content because in this way God has provided for you. And then Moses says, so the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. And now he's looking forward to future blessings. And he's saying for those who faithfully live in obedience to God's word here, that is being generous because God has been generous to them and being gracious because God has been gracious to them. God will continue to bless them in all that they do. He's not going to leave them in the lurch. He won't shortchange his people. There is this promise of future blessing held out here, do you see? So be content because God is providing for you. He has provided for you and he will continue to do so. And that principle is something that is taught to us as well in the New Testament, isn't it? As we're called to be generous and gracious, we're assured God will provide for us. When the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, He's dealing with these matters, isn't he? We've looked at these verses before of setting aside money for the needy, caring for those in need. And as he does so, he assures the, the Corinthians, be content as you do this because God will provide for you. He says this, 
The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And he goes on, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see what Paul is saying there, don't you? When God calls his people to give generously and graciously, we can be content because God is providing for us. And he always will. And these laws of Deuteronomy 15, of course, they don't apply directly to us today. Remember, they are addressed to Old Testament Israel. They govern how the people then would conduct themselves as they lived in the promised land. And we live in a very different era of salvation history. So we don't apply these things directly, of course. So that's not the point here. Don't go and buy any slaves uh, this week. But I hope you see this evening as we look at these verses that behind these laws governing the life of Old Testament Israel, and in particular their care for the needy, that there are these timeless principles indicated which do apply to God's people at all times and in all places. And God is saying to us in his word here, be generous to those in need because God has been generous to you. And be gracious to one another because in Christ God has been abundantly gracious to you. And as you do these things, Be content, because God is providing for you. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your wonderful mercy. You are a God who cares for those who are in need. And we thank you that in your word you impress upon your people the necessity of caring for the needy. And we pray that as we reflect on the teaching of these verses, that we would learn the lessons for us here and that we would be shaped by them. Help us to be generous towards others, recognizing that every good thing comes to us from you and all our resources and all our wealth are signs of your goodness and your generosity towards us. And so help us therefore to be generous just as you have been generous to us. And we praise you for your wonderful grace shown to us in Christ. We thank you that in him we have been set free from our slavery to sin. We have been provided for richly. We have an inheritance to enjoy and already a new life has begun. And as those who have received such amazing grace, help us to be gracious towards one another as well. And we thank you that in all things you are a God who provides for us. And whether we have much or whether we have little, help us always to be content and to rest in your providence. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.